Hello, humans. Hello, humans. Hello, humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio and lovely AM 950. How are you? Happy last Saturday in June to you. <laughs> you do not have any idea of how much that pains me uh, because for me, June has been a blur where I have barely been able to get out on my bicycle. I'll talk about that in the, um, in the C block. Um, but we have a great show uh, this time around. Uh, the, well, we usually have great shows generally, I'd like to add. But the big interview is with Father Harry Hardigan, a name that longtime listeners will recognize because he's been a past guest on the show. And we're going to talk about his work with society's outcasts. But let's start with an idealist who America lost in early June. Now, and this, again, as I you know, continue to always, almost always do, bring you names, bring you idealists that you've never heard of. And this is someone who's also in that category. I need to give my dear friend, Barbara Bebo is her nickname, Andrews, credit for bringing this idealist to my attention. Um, and it's a story about um, the passing of a federal appeals court judge by the name of Judge, of judge Robert Katzman. Much of what follows is from a June 11, 2021 New York Times piece titled, quote, A Humane Judge Gone Too Soon by Jesse Wegman. Here's the story on Judge Robert Katzman. He was born in New York City in April 1953. His mother was a homemaker and his father was an engineer. One of his parents, I don't know which one, had been born in Germany and was able to escape, I'm sure, with their parents uh, to emigrate to the U.S. So... He had a parent who understood the risks of living in a society that was not only suppressing but killing people. Judge Katzman attended Columbia University as an undergrad. He then went on to Harvard where he obtained a Ph.D. in political science. In fact, he was the only federal judge to ever have a Ph.D. in political science. And after that, he went on to Yale to obtain his law degree. And I tell you all of this because obviously he was extremely well-educated. And as we know, with education comes knowledge and then broadened perspective. In my book, that almost always, that combination of knowledge and broadened perspective almost always lends to greater compassion. Before being appointed to the bench, Judge Katzman served as a law clerk to a federal judge. And then for 18 years, Judge Katzman, Katzman was a fellow at the Brookings Institution, a public policy nonprofit think tank aimed at resolving societal challenges. He also taught at Georgetown University. In 1999, then-President Clinton nominated Judge Katzman to the Federal Second Circuit Court of Appeals, which takes appeals from New York, Connecticut, and Vermont. So if you're keeping track of what's going on in the Southern District of New York as it relates to the Trump Organization, it is the Second Court of Appeals that will hear those appeals when all of that starts to come down. Once on the federal bench... Judge Katzman wrote about legal topics, including on how judges should interpret written laws and statutes. He felt that it was entirely proper to consider the context and surrounding circumstances which helped bring the law about. In other words, to read what was going on in society at that time, to understand what legislators may have said when they were on the floor of the Senate or the House as they were proposing the legislation. Um, that's uh, That approach – 
trying to understand the, the kind of the context, the circumstances under which the law came about, that approach that Judge Katzman took is ex- the exact opposite of textualism. And the textualist approach was made famous by conservative justice uh, Anton Scalia, who only looked at the black and white words of a statute, that is, as long as they suited his purpose. Most of all, Judge Katzman was a unifier who used his imagination. For example, he was a big fan of naturalization ceremonies where new U.S. citizens are sworn in, sworn in where they swear – they literally stand up, they raise their right hand and they swear an allegiance to the United States. Judge Katzman loved to do those ceremonies and in fact, he oversaw the largest mass naturalization ceremony in the history of Ellis Island. And then he conducted, he oversaw the very first naturalization ceremony on the site of the rebuilt World Trade Center. And when Judge Katzman realized that foreign-born people seeking asylum or temporary status in the United States often lost when they lacked lawyers, the stats for that are appalling. So, for example, um, people who are seeking to come to the U.S. or to stay in the U.S. won their cases 74 percent of the time when they had a lo- when they had a lawyer, but without lawyers, they win only 13 percent of the time. This is part of the reason why I do still continue to have a law license because lawyers do make a difference. In the world, they can make a big difference. And so Judge Katzman saw that. He understood that statistic. And so this is a judge now, but he's also an idealist. And he went on to create the Immigrant Justice Corps, which has recent law school grads paired with people dealing with the immigration courts um, and being their representatives in the immigration court and then changing the, the odds, making the odds far more favorable to. Uh, favor the person who is trying to emigrate or be here in the U.S. And then Judge Katzman began to think about how to inspire those who can't even envision a prize for their lives as an adult. So in 2018, so this is a this is a judge. This is a man who never stopped imagining. Who never stopped. I mean, he, by 2018, he's on the bench for almost 20 years. And, and But he never stopped. He never stopped pushing and imagining. And so he pushed for the creation of a, of an organiz, of, a, of, a, of a place called Justice for All, a civic education center at the federal courthouse in lower Manhattan. The Justice for All Center brings in high school students and, and teaches them how to do basic legal research. They help um, host moot court proceedings and uh, just gets kids from diverse backgrounds to begin to dream about what is possible. As Jesse Wegman in the New York Times piece recounted from an interview with Judge Katzman where he talked about Justice for All being uh, center being created, um, this is what uh, Jesse Wegman wrote. Quote, he, uh, Judge Katzman, was interested not only in educating students about legal power but in setting them up to one day share it. When I'm done – when I've done moot courts, I take the students back to the robing room Uh, Judge Katzman said, and then I say, put on the robe. He told me this after a meeting with one group of students. And these kids are often kids of color. And I say, this could be your future. And you really can see it in their faces. Oh, yes, this could be their future. 
So think about that. You've got a judge, a man accorded great power in our society, taking black and brown kids, Asian kids, into the back, into the room where the robes are, and saying, try one on. See how it feels. Because you could do this someday. (laughs) Come on. That is idealism at its finest. Unfortunately, um, Judge Katzman died of pancreatic cancer earlier this month. We lost a giant when he died. And I have to tell you, the more I read about our idealistic Judge Katzman, the more I believe it is possible to transform our system via imagination, humanity, compassion, pushing, and work. We just have to be willing to do it. Now, some of you know that at one time, almost five years ago, I began the process of trying to become a judge here in Minnesota. Altogether, I tried three separate times, but I wasn't deemed a suitable candidate. Finally, before I move on from the judges, let me just say that Judge Peter Cahill, who oversaw the Derek Chauvin trial and yesterday's sentencing, and by the way, I'm taping this before I know the results of the sentence, how long the sentence is, But I want to tell you this about Judge Peter Cahill. He is a humane, decent person, like Judge Katzman. I know Judge Cahill personally, and in fact, he brought me in to train all of the judges in Hennepin County several years ago when he was the chief judge. He is a kind soul, and we were so very fortunate to have him preside over one of the most important trials in American history, Judge Cahill. Thank you for your service, Judge Cahill. We are so grateful for you as we are for the late Judge Robert Katzman. Okay, audience, that's the A Block. When we come back, I am going to speak to Father Harry Hartigan about his work with um, society's um, outcasts. We'll be back in a second. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Follow me on Twitter at Ellie Krug. I love hearing from you. Email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. Thanks. Bye-bye. And we're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 radio with me, Ellie, um, without the 2.0, but okay. All right. Robert Katzman, remember that name and remember, as I said, about really the pivotal role that judges can play in society. Now, for the big interview, I've got somebody else um, as our uh, interview guest today, somebody trying to do and have a pivotal role in society. I've got with me. Father Harry Hardigan. Um, Father Hardigan has been on my show a couple of times before, so if you're a longtime listener, you know that I've had him on at least uh, twice. And uh, but it's been a couple of years since we've had him. Father Harry, how are you? Are you, how are you doing? I'm great, Allie, and yourself? I'm doing really great. 
Welcome again. Yes, welcome again to uh, LE 2.0 Radio. And, you know, uh, I thought it was time to have you back um, because you you have some very unique missions in life about what you're doing. Um, you're and you are a priest with the um, Apple Catholic, Catholic Apostolic Church in North America. Thank you. The Apostolic. I'm always tripping over that word. The Apostolic Church. And right. um, you're saying, of course, is it ain't your grandmother church. Um, and so <laughs> so and just let's bring the uh, listeners up on you very quickly. For a long time, Harry, you were. You were married. You were a layperson. You were not involved in uh, the church uh, uh, life of any type. And then um, you came out as gay, right? Correct. And um, and then you took a huge life course change, and you went At from seventy. I became I became an ordained priest in the Catholic Apostolic Church. At seventy, gosh, Harry, God yep. love you. Okay, three years ago, I was. <laughs> Yeah, but so. even before that, you were you were doing work as a deacon, and yes. um, and your work, and this is why I wanted to have you back on the show. Your work, in particular, involves um, being there, counseling, ministering to um, some of those that are considered the worst of the worst. Do I have that right? That is, you have that right. I do. I do um, spiritual work with folks that are um, incarcerated at a place called Minnesota Sex Offenders Program. They have uh, a campus or a prison in Moose Lake, and they also have a prison in St. Peter, Minnesota. Right. And I've done that work now for six or seven years. I was banished about two years ago because I was too supportive of the clients. Right. Um, and and can I interrupt you, Harry? Uh, uh, Fa- Father Harry, I better be very respectful no, here. You, um, you can do it. <laughs> um, um, and in fact, the very first time you were on my show, um, we did the show here um, back in the days when we had guests on live. And then you and I got in the car and then we drove up to Moose Lake, right? We did. You were horrified. Um well, I, yes. I mean, well, we, well, and I, we went up to Moose Lake. It was June of probably three years ago. Um, and, um, and I presented, uh, to the -hmm. population at Moose Lake talking about what it meant to be trans because it was Pride Month. They had a little, they had a ceremony that, uh, the trans and uh, gay and lesbian identifying, um, residents of Moose Lake or inmates, however we want to characterize them as, you know, they did a little ceremony. It was very welcoming to me, you know, Mm -hmm. and in fact, they even gave me a a packet of seeds that I actually later on planted. And so um, that was very nice of them. Um, They were so excited to have you. That was an incredible um, event for them. Uh, having you there with them. Well, and I don't share, thanks for that, Harry, but uh, Father Harry, but we, um, I mean, I wanted to just bring the audience up to date about that experience there. Mm-hmm. And um, you're right, I was appalled. At, I mean, uh, the the none of the staff at uh, Moose Lake had ever been trained on how to be welcoming to transgender. They didn't even understand what being transgender meant. You know, right. and we've or got lesbian. Or, <laughs> right, and and we've got. I mean, we have the 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 critical reality that both of those facilities are out in Greater Minnesota, 
where the attitudes towards LGBTQ people are so much different, can be so much different um, and, 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 and uh, suppressing. But having said all of that, you did get banned. And do you want to explain um, briefly sure. why you got banned and then, br- then bring us up to date on really why you and right. I are talking now? So um, I had been going to Moose Lakes since 2015. I did the first gay wedding there. I married two men. Um, and I also went up every two weeks and did a uh, Catholic service, an independent Catholic service. Um, I also was doing an LGBTQ support group at St. Peter once a month because these people are starved for any outside connection. In many cases, um, you know, their limits limited to a 15-minute phone call, an hour visit, if, you know, their families can make it that far or if they have families that are willing to travel. So um, I had been doing that work, and um, they are very punishing in that um, environment. They don't allow hugs. Um, and if you have a hug, you have to do it a certain way. Um, everything is, um, um, we can't, you can't talk honestly about or openly about sexuality, um, because they focus only on what they call the offending behavior. Um, it's a very cruel, um, you know, these people that are there, um, you know, have served their jail time and now they have a lifetime sentence, um, in this. Hold, yeah. Hold on, Father yeah. Harry. Let's just uh, sure. let's just make sure the audience understands that. So we have you. We have people at um, Moose Lake and St. Peter who um, committed some type of crime involving a sex offense. Um, or, or, oh, yeah. Right. Or and 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 then served criminal time as a result of mm-hmm. that offense. They served their yeah. time they, like in a in a regular prison. That's and, correct. And then um, because uh, somebody decided that they were still a threat, placed them in um, MSOP, uh, the sex oh. offender program. Now, That's right. but, but some of these people are there because they committed an offense as a, you know, as a teenager. And now That's they're, right. now they're you know, now they're in their thirties or forties. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and Some they, in their sixties and they and seventies, and they can't get out um, mm-hmm. because somebody's saying that there's still a threat. I mean, you know, and I mean, am I right? Some of it is like you know, somebody that was seventeen, you know, had sex with a girl that was fourteen, a, a girl that oh, somebody that was thirteen, you know, had sex with an underage girl, and that was considered right. the criminal act, and that's why they're still in there. There's, there's young men, there's one young man, and telling their stories is something that needs to be done that, yeah. that hasn't been done. Um, there's hold, one hold young on, man. Harry, uh, Father Harry, we've got to take a break, okay? Um, okay? When we come back, but share the story that you're going to share, okay? All right? Okay, All right. listeners, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug. I'm speaking with Father Harry Hartigan, who is, does incredible work as an idealist and as a man of religion. When we come back from the break, we'll talk with Father Harry a little bit more. Okay, thanks.
And we're back. LD 2.0 Radio and AM 950. Um, we've been speaking, before we took our break, we were speaking with Father Harry Hartigan about his work um, at the two facilities in Minnesota that treat, um, and I'm putting quotation marks around that phrase, treat uh, sex offenders. And Father Harry, uh, you were going to, and we were talking about some of the injustice for some of these folks. I mean, having sure. committed, you know, a, you know, quote unquote, sex offenses, offenses um, when they were, you know, teenagers and um, and still suffering the penalties for it 30 years later, um, even after having served jail time. Now, I, I also want to make sure that the audience understands. I mean, there are some people at both of those facilities that are, you know, generally dangerous to help. the community. OK, right. That's need help. Need help. Right. But they, but are, the state has cast a majority. When you look at the statistics, Allie, 100, according to the statistics that I've been given by the, the people who are incarcerated there, 168 of those folks at Moose Lake are gay men. 55 of those folks are bisexual. 22 are transgender out of a population of 467. It's about 50 percent LGBTQ folks. Right, right, and and uh, I mean that's and and again that gets us back to the biases of you know Greater Minnesota have towards LGBTQ people. Now, um, uh, Father one Harry, of the, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. One of the one of the men who's there, and I'll use his name. His name is Ken, um, a Jewish man who I am very acquainted with. We talk pretty much every day, and Ken has had to learn to defend himself. Um, to file lawsuits on his own behalf against the facility. And Ken, Ken's offense was with a younger man, right? Um, and he was in his 20s, and this younger man was probably 16. Um, they were caught by the, one of the parents, and all hell broke loose. Um, that's his only offense, right, that he loves somebody. And, and, and then did he serve some jail time for that? He did serve jail time, um, and now he's entrapped at Moose Lake and has been um, for better than, I think, 17 years. Oh, my God. Right? And there's a gentleman there um, who um, has been there 28 years, um, and he borders on genius. We did a display of his artwork his over artwork, at yep. First Experience. And it's incredible. He's an incredibly gifted man, but he's locked away and been locked away for over 27 years. There's, there's a young man that's 13. He's now 60. And he's been locked away, right? His offense was, I think he, he was at the state hospital. He saw his mother um, and her best friend murdered. Um, and when he was 10... Um, he lived with his grandfather, but, um, you know, he was on a bus and he pulled some girl's pants down. And that's what got him incarcerated into the state hospital and then pushed into the Minnesota Sex Offenders Program. And he's been there for how long? He's been there uh, age 13 to, to 60. He's almost he's 58, I believe. Oh, my God. And, right. you know, I mean, right. <laughs> 
it's sad, right? The, and these folks, right, don't have a lot of support from the outside world. And if they have support, it's shut down, right? That's why I was banished, because I was too supportive of these people, trying to help them get their stories told, right? A 13-year-old, right, who does something like pull somebody's pants down, right, um, is uh, not well-adjusted. We'll give we'll we'll agree with that, but does that um, offense require a prison sentence from thirteen right. to sixty? Right. right, and you know, I mean, he's he's what's considered a juvenile offender. There's fifty plus juvenile offenders there, um, and it's painful. It's very painful to watch, and you know, I guess I should be afraid or they thought I should be afraid of the people. I was more afraid of the staff. Right. Well, right? and Father Harry, um, you know, the, the um, well, now I just lost the question. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, there you go. Okay. Um, the, it, it's a crazy system, right? It, it's not even logical. There's a court case, right, before Judge Donovan Frank that's just come back from the Eighth Circuit, and hopefully it can overturn some of this. But the legislature for the state of Minnesota gave um, MSOP carte blanche to do what they want. There's no oversight. And that's because they, the legislature is afraid that if if somebody is released from mm-hmm. either facility— um, and they reoffend, then they're going right. to have to pay a political price, right? I mean, you know, that's correct. And yeah. and you and, can't even talk to them about it, right? They don't even want to discuss it. And am I it's right? Yeah. Am I right, yeah. Father Harry? That like in the last ten years, am I right that only one person has ever been released from either Moose Lake or Saint Peter? They claim thirteen. Um, <laughs> okay, and they're they're provisionally discharged, but I believe there's very few that have been completely released. There may be one or two that have been completely, but most of them are what they call provisional discharge. Um, so they're still under the thumb of MSOP. Okay. So the the system is just one right. Um, Unfortunately, it's a it's a terrible system that punishes these people endlessly um, and anybody who would want to support them. Right. MSOP, as you know, right. They tried to get you to do a training for them free of charge. Right. Yeah. No. Remember yeah, that little yeah, adventure. Yep. I and remember that free, adventure. Yep. Right. And so they everything that they do. Right. Is is um, for the benefit of of the people running it, right? They don't care what happens to the people. They tried to get me to be on the therapy team as a priest, to be a, to report to them what these people might have told me. And I refused that. I said, no, that won't happen. Well, right? uh, yeah, I, I, well I remember one of, um, <clears throat> one of the folks when I was up there um, for that one day where we did the event, he took me aside hmm. and, you know, he, he was, uh, he had, that Kendra? I, I don't remember, but they, you know, okay. the, the words were the fantasy was of Justin Bieber having a vagina. And I'm like, yeah, there are a lot of people that would have that fantasy. Okay. And, and by the mm-hmm. way, it's, 
you know, I'm, I'm probably just shocked to some of our listeners, but, but, <laughs> but, yeah, right. you know, but, but the reality is, is in the scheme of human sexuality, all right, right. that is not like totally off the, you know, off the charts for, for humans. And, we all have fantasies and we, we are, we are sexual human beings, right? If we've had sex with anybody, we've offended somebody. <laughs> Well, the, we have, right? <laughs> but then we, but let's get back to Jesus, okay? Right, okay, Father Harry. You know, because <laughs> Jesus, th- these are the folks Jesus hung out with, right? I mean, he was, he was somebody that he didn't hang out with the country club folks, and no. um, he was, you know, he was with the people that no one wanted to be around, right? and he and he, and he did uh, that to teach us that we need to be good to all humans, right? Right. And that's the issue, right? These are God's children. These folks deserve to have decency and respect in their life. They don't need to be locked away forever because they made a mistake, right? Um, if, if, um, if we're without sin, let us cast the first stone, and none of us are that way. Um, and these poor people deserve to be able to live a life. Right, they'll come out of there, and they'll be on a thing called the sex registry, and their you, life will never be normal. Right, and Father Harry, we've got uh, three minutes left, but you sure. you have filed a uh, you have filed an um, an endangered person report as a result right. of your interaction with the, one of the one of the folks at um, right me. Yep. She's at Saint Peter. She's transgender, and she's one of the first people I met at. St. Peter, right. a very wonderful individual trying to tra- uh, do a transition from male to female, yep. and they have done everything in their power to bastardize this poor person, and she is so beside herself. Um, the abuse that she sustains, right? She did change her name. They still refer to her as Mr. or David, and when it's Tammy Joe. And they um, they do everything they can um, to not help someone in transition. Well, we right? should and we should let the audience know Tammy Joe's story in particular is particularly troubling because it she is. she served a sentence um, for mm-hmm. um, some type of sexual offense, served right. her time, and then she was free out on the street for three years without yep. ever offending, without ever having any kind of issue. And then they picked her back up because for some reason they thought that she was a risk. And she has been, she has been incarcerated ever since as a result of that. That is correct. And, and she has tried, right? She has tried to do what they call their program, right? There's three phases of their program. And right. She just got, because she defended herself because somebody was being abusive uh, physically or, or um, emotionally, uh, emotionally, she they pulled one of her tears. She was at the top of the tier, and they just pulled her back, right? So, um, and now, right, she can't do this. She can't do that. She can't even go outside, right? Um, because they pulled her tear. Um, it's it's an abusive, a very abusive system. Um, and we've, there's a coalition working on it. Um, there's a case before them. There's like a case plus 80 
before the courts um, because the case before Judge Donovan Frank, there's like 80 other cases that will ride on that case. Okay. Harry, so, uh, Father Harry, we've got only a minute left. Tell, yes, can, Let's tell the yes, audience, what makes you an idealist? How did you well, become believe, so idealistic? I believe that everyone has value um, and that everyone deserves to have a life that is um, fulfilling and that they can use their gifts and talents, that they shouldn't be stepped on just because they come from socially economic um, disadvantage. So, you know, and whether you're gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender questioning should not be um, a reason to abuse somebody. And that's what makes me an idealist. I, you know, um, when, when I started going to Moose Lake, I said to my bishop, you never told me about this. And he just smiled. Right. It's God's will. Um, and I have to get out of God's way. You know that our drive up, you know, two and a half hour drive up to Moose Lake and two and a half hours back. Right. That was pretty, you know, pretty eye opening for both of us. Yeah, it was a good it was a really great talk, Father Harry. It was. It yeah. was. And you do amazing work. And we need to tell these people's stories. There's a young man who's um, who's on the autism spectrum and doesn't get treated for it. Right. Right. Um, and, and these aren't bad people. Right. These aren't monsters. These aren't the Jeffrey Dahmers of the world. Right. Those kinds of people. That's not who these people are. No. And and well, Father Harry, unfortunately, we've got to go, but we've I'll have to go. But... I'll have you again. OK. And thank you so much. But Kelly. in the meantime, thank you for all that you're doing in the world to make the world better. And, um, you know, I respect the heck out of you and and just, you know, are you just keep going at it. OK, thank you very much, Allie. You have a great day. OK, thanks. All right, listeners, we've been speaking to Father Harry Hartigan, um, who is doing literally God's work with the people who are considered the worst. And um, as he's related, that's not the case for many of the people that are confined to Moose Lake or St. Peter. Um, uh, if you want to read more about this, just all you have to do is Google uh, Donovan Frank um, uh, judicial decision, and you'll be able to find it um, about what's going on at both of those facilities. All right. When we come back from our break, I'll give you my C block, talk to you a little bit about the hodgepodge of what's going on now in my life. Thanks. And we're back. Ellie 2.0 Radio, AM 950, Father Harry Hardigan. Let me just tell you, think about that. A total life change in the service of God. And then doing the work that he does. Come on. You've got to respect that. And I meant what I said. Those are the folks that Jesus hung out with. Okay? So, there you go. All right. C-Block.
I've got a hodgepodge. I don't have one unified theme here. So let's get to it. Uh, First, I have done uh, 30. By the end of the month, I will have done 31. I counted them. Not 30, not 29, not 32. 31 different trainings. Um, not all online either. I've, uh, two of those uh, this month so far have been in person. Gosh, I was in, I was in downtown Minneapolis yesterday, uh, uh, part of a panel with two other women, and we, we were speaking to about 50 people in a room. It was so incredible to see humans, like, like real humans, you know? You could see like their whole body and see their body language and, you know, see them fidgeting at the table, you know, as they were in the audience. It was just so incredibly great. If you have an interest, I'm going to have the very first public available event in maybe two years on Wednesday night. That would be Wednesday the 30th at 7 o'clock at St. James Lutheran Church in Crystal. Now, you can go to the website. I don't know if they're like asking for you to register in advance or whatever, but if you have an interest in going and hearing me, I'm going to talk about what it means to be LGBTQ and and we'll be taking questions from the audience and things like that. If you have an interest in that, reach out to St. James Lutheran Church in Crystal. Give them a call or send them an email. I'm sure they can give you some information. I mean, I know you all have a lot to do, but I just thought I'd mention that because some people do want to hear me speak uh, live and I'm very grateful for that. Okay, second item. I did a training this week. And something actually kind of cool happened. Um, I was speaking about, uh, you know, I was speaking about gray area thinking my, you know, favorite uh, training. I mean, I love all my trainings, but I have a little bit more affection for gray area thinking. And, um, and we, you know, it has a lot of audience participation. And the cool thing that happened, quite unexpected was that there was somebody on the training and, you know, we're having discussion. I like to have audience engagement. I like to talk to the audience. I don't like to talk at them. And one of the people in the audience um, uh, started quoting me back, (laughs) started using words that I have used here on this station. And she was quoting me from things I've said on the radio, okay, to back to me in the training as well as to the audience. Um, her name is Vicky. Vicky, if you're listening, I, I just want to let, let you know, thanks for being a listener for the show and thanks for coming to the training. But somewhere along the way, um, you know, we were talking about the power of, of, of telling stories. And before I could say it, Vicky jumped in. And she said, well, Elliot, it's like you always say, you know, that we're a society of storytellers and story listeners. She knew what I was going to say and she jumped the gun and she said it um, for me. And I was just like blown away, first of all, that anybody would remember my words, okay? And, but secondly, it just was kind of cool, everyone, to know that maybe people are listening and maybe the words that you're hearing from me stick, I mean, that is like, to me, the greatest possible honor that you could get from anyone, that someone allows your words to occupy a part of their brain for even a little bit, let alone for week after week. Wow. So thank you again, Vicki, and thank you, all of your listeners, all my listeners, uh, for this. Now, the last thing on our hodgepodge list here is, you know, I have been talking to you about what's been going on 
about critical race theory, about how people are attacking just even the kind of training that I'm doing around human inclusivity, around then understanding about um, white supremacy and the history of what's gone on in our country around enslaving humans and oppressing other humans. I mean there are attacks about all of this across the country. And uh, last night or the night before in uh, Loudoun County, Virginia, so one of the one of the suburban counties around D.C., uh, there was – I mean there was a whole gathering at a school board meeting with parents there or, well organized, well organized attacking um, any movement to, to talk about skin color in their schools and any movement to talk about transgender people. It is a twofer. And this is going on across the country. Um, one of the MSNBC commentators somewhere along the lines, um, you know, talked about this being Tea Party on steroids. This is an organized effort to to rile the base, to get them vocal about these wedge issues, you know, about skin color training and about transgender people and using that as a way to start attacking um, people who – are liberal, who are conservative, are not conservative, people who are trying to foster change in our society. These people are attacking to try and keep the status quo, which of course means that white people, straight, straight, white, color, Christian, nothing against Christians, okay, but there's a Christian nationalism going on in our country right now, which is incredibly dangerous, that those people, quotation marks, are the ones who stay in power. It is, you know, and of course I'm transgender and I train on this stuff. I'm, I feel like I'm getting a double barrel every time I read about this. I mean it's like, Ellie, the, your face is on this. And of course when I read about Loudoun County, Virginia, all you have to do is Google Loudoun, Loudoun County, Virginia, um, critical race, transgender. That's all you have to Google. The story will come up from CNN. Um, but when I read about it, I said, Ellie, you've got to go to Loudoun County, Virginia now. And you've got to go talk to that community. You do. <sighs> Stay tuned. Okay. Well, listen, it's been a great show. I appreciate you being here again for another week. Um, a big thanks to my producer, Patrick, who continues to have to do math for me, but he does it wonderfully. And to you, my audience, I really appreciate that you tune in every week. Um, if you like what you hear, tell others about it. But also, will you do me this favor? You won't hear. I'm, I won't be doing a show for two weeks because I'll take a little break for Fourth of July. But in the meantime, go out and make the world a better place. Will you do that? Take care. Be well. Bye-bye.